Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you are about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. Are you ready for God's word this morning? Okay, all right, good. Let's say this together, say every day, and in every way, I'm getting better and better. I'm getting wiser and wiser. I'm getting smarter and smarter. I'm getting richer and richer. I'm getting taller and taller. My neighbor is getting fatter and fatter. <laughs> you, we have revelation knowledge. I've taught you what fatness is. The Bible says the anointing destroys the yoke. That anointing is fatness. Fatness, that's what it is. So when you're saying that, I have that understanding. All right, by the word of God. <laughs> Please, this is my message. It belongs to me. <laughs> by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. We have come before your word again this morning like people that have found a great spoil. We ask for eyes that see and ears that hear. Hearts that understand who we are in Jesus and who Jesus Christ is in us. I ask that you anoint me and my lips of clay again today. Let your word come unhindered and unchecked by any demonic force. At the end of this message, let everybody be edified and let your name alone be glorified. Because the devil is already terrified. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. All right, I'm going to start out with one verse of scripture. Because I have loads of scripture to give you today. When Samson saw the list of scriptures that I gave him for this service, he said today is going to be different. Lots of scripture. And the reason why is that this message I'm about to share with you, like I told you during, during the family meeting this morning, it's not, it's not for children. Uh, Paul said that there was a period where he couldn't share certain things with the church because they were acting like kids. Uh, but when we grow up into maturity, there are certain things that we need to get into. So I want to start a series that we're calling Theology Simplified. And the idea is to bring all of these, you know, lofty-sounding things that you hear um, that sound like, oh, oh, what is that? And just simplify it, make it easy to understand. Uh, I thought of calling this Theology Demystified, but I reasoned that if you are trying to simplify it, there's no need to use a big word like demystified. So it's Theology Simplified. When we are done with this series, you will feel like a Bible scholar. When you go out there and nobody is using any big word, you just be like, what is, what is propitiation? Oh, don't worry about that. I can define that for you. Okay? And beyond that, that your life begins to show forth certain attributes that are present in God's word. My, my prayer is that when we are done, especially today, that you, a new hunger for God's word will be reawakened in you. That is the whole idea of this. So let's start from 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all scripture. Somebody say all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, before I came to Canada, before I was a pastor, I was a writer. Before I was a writer, I was a publisher. And before I was a publisher, I was a ghostwriter. So somebody said, who are the people that you, you did ghostwriting for? You missed the point. That's the whole idea. A ghostwriter is somebody who writes for you and signs a non-disclosure that they will never say they wrote for you. So I used to do that for people. And the idea was this, that because I have this gift and this ability, my wife knows that words, are, words come to me naturally. The way you can add up figures and numbers, if you don't put a dollar sign behind any number, I can't add it up. That's not my gift. 
Uh -huh. But if you put money behind it, then I'll figure it out because then I'll exercise my brain. But I'm, I'm better with words than with numbers. That's why I don't also remember dates except I exercise my brain. So at this season of my life, I used, to, I used to write books for people who had ideas of what they wanted to write. But whether because they didn't have enough time to do it by themselves, to sit down and write the book, or they just couldn't write. Some people, writing is not just their thing. But they can talk. So I will set up sessions, just like the way you do counseling sessions with them, and over a, a period of time, go over the things that they want to communicate. So all of this while I'm recording the conversations and they're just talking to me about the book. They're sharing their hearts. They're sharing the idea of the book. These are the thoughts behind this. This is what I think here. This is, they'll tell me stories, left, right, and center, and I'm putting all that thing together. And then my job is to go home and write as though the person who spoke to me was the one writing the book. Are you with me so far? That's the whole idea of this thing. And that's what I, literally that's what I used to do for a living, okay? And I did that for a number of people before I now went into publishing books myself and then writing my own books. Now. What I want to share with you this morning, I've called it Beyond Words. And you would understand the reason in a moment. And the whole idea of this whole thing is that hopefully you will begin to see that the Bible, which is the word of God that we profess and we talk about, is not just mere words. It is beyond words. It is beyond words. It is the word of God to you. And you need to read it. You need to, if you're already reading it, you need to read it more. You need to read it more. Now, I will get back to my story in a moment, but let me tell you why I'm, I'm telling you that story. You see, the Bible that, that we carry everywhere with us, this, this physical Bible, I want to tell you how we, we came about this, this thing, just in a nutshell, is you can, you can rely on the Bible, and you can trust that everything that the Bible says is accurate. And I will give you a snapshot this morning of why that is the case. But just to give you a background, do you know that the Bible, the physical Bible that you have, or whether it is now in digital form or whatever it is, was written over a period of time spanning 1,600 years. Are you with me? 1,600 years, the period of time. The distance between the people who wrote the Bible, there are 39 writers on the Bible, okay? Or 40, depending on how you want to count, but that will be important in a moment. Keep the story that I shared with you in mind. All of these people wrote across a, a geographical space that is about 3,000 miles in distance. So Ezekiel was in Babylon writing, Paul was in Rome, and this was done across 55 generations. Are you listening to me this morning? Okay, pay, pay attention to this. All of these things, yet there was one author of the Bible. Now, take your mind back to the story I shared with you. After that, I have created the, the, the book for these people, and, and I've returned it to them, and you know, it's gone through the process. Let me ask you a question. Who is the author? of the book, me or them? You see, some people don't understand this, and this is why I hear people say things like, the Bible has dual authorship. That's not correct. That's not correct. There, there cannot be two authors, okay? The, the author of the book is the person who had the inspiration for the book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the fact that there were several writers in some of those books, I had to employ other people who were, who were working with me to help me in writing that book. But their name does not appear in the book as the author. The author of the book is the person who has the inspiration for it, okay? So that's very important. So even though there were these people, all of these 39 people across this wide range of time, wide range of space, there was only one author. And the author is the Holy Spirit. Say amen to this. Amen. 
That's very important. So when you, when you think about the Bible, you, you have to think about it that way. That, yeah, there were, there were different writers, and there's a reason for that. We'll get into that in a moment. But the author of the entire work is the person known as the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. Now, let's go to 2 Peter chapter number 1, and this is where we begin, because this is very, very crucial. When you want to approach the Scripture and begin to understand the Bible the way I'm about to explain to you, you need to know this first. Verse 20, look at what it says. It says, knowing this first, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Very crucial. Verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but only men of God spoke as they were moved. By who? By the Holy Spirit. So who is the author of the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Okay, you are with me. So, therefore, we can, we can take it that this thing called the Bible is both accurate and reliable. Uh, in, in theology, we have 10 reasons that we give for why the Bible is accurate and reliable. How many are there? 10. But you know, I will not give you 10 reasons on a Sunday morning. I can't do that. So I will give you three of them, okay? And this is just the introduction. Now, there's another one that I will, I will give you as an honorary mention, and you will see why I'm going to do that. But let me take you through three simple reasons why we say that the Bible is the Word of God. The first one is what is called the unique revelation of Jesus. That is the first thing. The unique revelation of Jesus. This is the fact that the Bible contains the extraordinary revelation of a God-man. No other book in history has that revelation of a man that was 100% God and 100% man that came to earth that is not just recorded in the scriptures, but that is also recorded in other books in history, that it was a real historical figure. Are you with me? Only the Bible has that. No other religion in the world. Now, every religion in the world tells you the things that you need to do in order to get to God. The Bible is the only book that tells you the thing that God did in order to get to you. You missed a good place to say amen. You need to be awake this morning. <laughs> you need to be awake. That is the, the only place where you will find in any religion, there are thousands of religions in the world, literally. The only religion that tells you what God did in order to reach you is the Bible. No other religion in the world. That is what is referred to as the unique revelation of Jesus. So this is why we say that the, the central personality of the Bible is who? Jesus. But the correct way to say it is the Lamb of God. So when we, when we say who is the central personality of the Bible, it is the Lamb of of God. We know that that is Jesus, but you, throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you will see e examples of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, blood being shed, all of that are types and shadows that are pointing to the person of Jesus. So despite the fact, or in spite, the, the fact that the, the, all of these 39 people across this wide space of time and place wrote the Bible, every one of them are talking about the same person. If you give me any book of the Bible, I will show you Jesus in it. Any book, especially Roots. <laughs> I love the book of Roots. Uh, maybe one of these days I will take some time on Wednesday night and show you the types and shadows of the book of Roots, of, 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 uh, of Boaz being our king's man redeemer and all of those different things. But because of time today, I'll keep it simple. So let me show you the references for this. When we say that the central personality of the Bible is who? Jesus, and that is the Lamb of God. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Luke 24, 44, it says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms 
concerning me. This is Jesus speaking. So he's telling us that in, if you go to the, to, the, to, the, to the Torah, the five books of Moses, you go to all the law and the prophets, the Psalms, you will see things concerning me. He is the central personality. John chapter 5, verse 39. It says, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees here. It says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. John chapter 5, verse 46. Just write these things down. I'm, I'm moving like this because of time. For if you believed Moses, you will believe me. For he wrote about me. So the central personality of the Bible is who? Jesus. Number two, reason why we, we believe that the Bible is the word of God is the unity of its message. The unity of its message. So despite all of the background that I've given you and all of the wide range of differences of all the writers in the Bible, they are all saying the same message. The central message of the Bible is redemption. The central message of the Bible is what? Redemption. From Adam's fall to the revelation of Jesus, all we see are types and shadows of that you will always find the structure of the Bible is this way. You will always find that there is first sinfulness, there is judgment of sin because God always judges sin. Whether you want to pay the price or you will take the price that Jesus has paid, sin has to be judged. So after the judgment, you now go to repentance. After repentance is restoration. Consistent throughout the Bible, that is the message. That's the message. The central personality of the Bible is who? The central message of the Bible is what? Redemption. God bless you. So think of this. How will all of these people who are writing across all of these different generations and thousands of, of miles, how will they know that the one thing that we are trying to all communicate <laughs> is to point to Jesus and is to reveal redemption, except that God was the one who revealed this? Okay, your, your mind is going to be blown very soon. Just stay with me. I'm still coming. All right? Now, I've, I've already told you, in case you are just joining us, this was written over 16,000 years. What that means is from 1440 B.C., to 100 AD. That's the, the, the time, the, the timeline that it took everyone to write all the different books, all the different books, before we got to the place where we did something called canonization. That is the process of putting those things together and agreeing on the 66 books that will be considered the Bible. Because there are other books that are out there, but they were not canonized. There is a criteria by which those books were decided. Am I speaking over your head? Okay, all right, God bless you. Thank you for staying awake, all right? So we've, we've said... From generation to generation, there is no other book in antiquity that has this attribute. No other book. No other book. You know what other interesting fact? No book in the, in the history of the world has been able to outsell the Bible. Are you excited already or what? No book. Like literally, no book. Yeah. You can't do it. <laughs> this is what gets me excited about the Bible. So we've said almost 40 authors spanning all these several walks of life. Let me give you a clue. The, the, the kind of people that the Holy Spirit employed to write the scriptures were kings. So Solomon was a king. In the Bible, there are goat herds. You know people that, that keep sheep and goats. Amos was a goat herd. You can't get lower than that. Yeah, there were judges in the Bible. There were lawyers in the Bible. Paul was a lawyer. Prophets in the Bible. All of them writing the same thing. There, was, there were doctors in the Bible. Luke was a doctor who wrote the Bible. Yet, there were illiterates who wrote. Peter was a fisherman. He didn't go to school. So what we're saying is that when you approach the Bible, if you give it to somebody who is a scholar, who has multiple PhDs, huh, they will find something in it that can blow their mind. If you give the Bible to a child, they will find something in it that will help them. 
I think you should put your hands together for Jesus. Yeah. Yet, <laughs> yet the message of the Bible is still the same throughout. It is a simple message, but infinite in its depth. It is what we refer to as a fountain in theology. It's a fountain. What it, what it means is that when you go to a fountain, the fountain is the same, but the water is always fresh. So it doesn't matter how many times you've gone there. It's not the water that poured on you yesterday that will pour on you the next time you go there. It's something else, but the fountain is the same. This is why you cannot assume you know the Bible. No matter how long you have been born again, no matter how much you have been reading it, every day you approach the Bible, it is new every morning. It is fresh every morning. Fresh insight, fresh revelation every time you approach the Bible. That is why we believe that this is the word of God to us. Number three, are you still with me? Number three is what we refer to as the fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of prophecy. And I like this because this is an external confirmation now that is apart from the Bible itself that we can look in history and see other books and other references that establish the things that were said in the Bible that have come to pass. I'll give you an example so that you understand what I'm saying. So the Bible has about 2,500 prophecies, 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. Out of those 2,500, 2,000 have already been fulfilled. 2,000. The ones that we are waiting for is just for Jesus to show up. After he shows up, the rest will start flowing. Yeah, so, so I'll imagine this. There is no other religion. Look, all the religious books in the world, you can, you can Google it, you can, you can do whatever you want. Look, no other religion in the world has prophecies in their book. There's one that I know now that has one prophecy yet to be fulfilled. <laughs> but the Bible stakes its claim on 2,500. And out of that, in our time, we have already seen 2,000 of those that have come to pass. I'll give you a few examples of it. So I'm trying to build your confidence so that when you approach this book, it's, it's not an ordinary book. It's not. And you have to understand that. That when we are saying, go and read your Bible, we are saying, go and receive life. That's what we are telling you literally. So, it says, there are people, nations, events, clearly documented in historical accounts that are outside of the Bible. So, things that were, before we did the canonization, there were, there were things that were written down in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, 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 the way the Bible was found in, the, in, the, in time past, and in the Septuagint, which I've told you is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. All of those things, they found prophecies in those things that were prophesied and that came to pass hundreds of years after it was written. An example is Cyrus. This is a very good example. Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 26. Let me show you. I'll show you two of this. Isaiah 44, verse 26. Here, look at what it says. It says, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up our waste places. 27. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. 28. Who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Now, let me just say, by the way, this is, this is one of the reasons why you should not, this is not about being political, but please, don't mess with what the Bible says about Israel. I don't care what you see in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Because the Bible, the Bible has, has been through generations and has proven beyond all reasonable doubt that if you find it in the Bible, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. 45 verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. So, 
what happened to Cyrus? Hundreds of years after Cyrus was born, <laughs> 100 years, literally, after Cyrus was born, they realized that what the Bible said about Cyrus had come to pass. How many years after? 100 years. 100 years. So, so, so just imagine this. Now, this is what I, I was thinking when I was reading this, that why, why would God go out of his way to stake his, his neck out so much and mention his name? Why can't you just give us a random suggestion that this is going to happen to a certain person that will be in a certain place? It's just like when he was prophesying about Jesus. Specific details. Specific details. He's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judah in a certain place. This is the time that it will be. This is what's going to happen. Now, what if one of those things don't happen? He's telling you that it's impossible for the one who said it for it not to happen. <laughs> That's what he's trying to say to you. Are you alive? Let me show you another one. This, this one is, I, I love this. This, is, this one is good. This is about the fall of Babylon, Isaiah chapter 13. Some of these things that I'm, I'm, I'm reading to you, I'm, I'm saying today, look, you know what I told you at the beginning? This message is not for babies. So some of you will need to go home and listen to this over and over again because if I'm, if I'm reading a scripture and you can't see what I'm saying, there's a veil. We'll pray about that. That veil needs to be taken away so that every time you read the scripture, your eyes are open to see, to see what everybody is saying <laughs> so that you're not reading about and say, what are they talking about? I can't see anything. It's called a veil. So Isaiah 13, verse 19 to 22, look at what it says. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldean pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a prophecy. Verse 20, it will never be inhabited, nor will he be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tent there, nor will the shepherds make their sheep food there. Look at this. Like, this prophecy was given at a period when Babylon was in its full glory. He's not talking about something that has, he's telling you, this is, just think about it now, like, like the United States of America, they claim that they are the world superpower. I don't, I don't agree, but that's what they claim. So, so just imagine now that the USA, as it is now, somebody now comes and prophesies and says, the United States shall never be inhabited. It shall be desolate. Ah, you will say, hey, you have gone too far with this thing. Hundreds of years before it happened. So what if Babylon is, is now rebuilt or rebuilt? It can never happen. Because the one who said it will ensure <laughs> that it can never happen. Because he wants you to know that you can stake your life on this word. Your actual life, you can bet it on the word of God. Because the word of God is true. It is accurate. Everything it says will come to pass. I just mentioned to you, I've taken you through this uh, before. I don't want to do it again today. About Jesus, how all the different prophets were prophesying years and years after one another. And all telling us exactly what will happen to Jesus. And when he came, he showed us in the scriptures, these were the things that were written concerning me. All of that was done through the Bible. That is the same book that is now handed over to you, and you don't know where it is. You can't find it. When you are coming on Sundays, when you are looking for it all up and down the place. See, after all, you have your phone. Are you alive? Yes, you need to get back to the word of God. Now, I've, I've mentioned these three. There is another one that is, that is usually given out of the ten reasons. These reasons that I, I gave you, they are listed in order of their importance. There is one that is the number 10 reason of why we believe that the Bible is the word of God. It is number 10. And it is called the practical test of experience. It's not in my point. I want to mention it to you because it's important. The reason is this. What the practical test of experience means is, in, is, is what you find in Psalm 34 verse 8. That uh, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts him. That is referred to as the practical test of experience. Which is that you have experienced God in your own life. So you believe that the word of God is true. You have, you have, he has done things for you. 
right? And you believe that God's word is true. Like what, what my wife was telling you the other day about my kids, when she, she asked them, how do you know that God is real? He will say, I pray for my brother, my brother got healed. Therefore, God is real. Do you understand this? That is valid, is legit, but it is number 10. And there's a reason why it is number 10. Because when you are a child, that's how God will deal with you. Can I preach? When you are a baby, huh? you will pray. God will answer. You will be in church. You are stranded. Say, God, I want to go home. You will go out. Somebody will hand you money. Take a bus home. You are a baby. When you grow up, you will pray. God will not answer you. That's how you know you are growing up. You will cry. Huh? You will call upon the name of the Lord. You will find all the scriptures you know. You will lift up your voice. He will not answer you. So that we will know whether the Bible being true is based on your personal experience or the fact that the Bible is true regardless of my experience. So you've got to come, when you are coming up to a place of maturity in this faith, it is that it doesn't matter what my experience is. Though he slay me. <laughs> so, so at one level, personal experience is good. It's valid. Oh, I can give you testimony. When I first got saved, miracles left, right, and center. Everything will be happening like it's, it's magic. <laughs> you will say, wow, this Christianity is good. It's trying to welcome you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because a season will come. Things will happen in your life. You will say, ah, ah God. I was reading the story of, of a, this is a minister of the gospel. This one is not even in my, I, I don't want to deviate too much, but, but this is important. This is a minister of the gospel, serving God with his life. They, he got into some kind of mess that was just a, a, a big issue, and he watched, they, they killed his family in front of him. And he was, he was seeing the person that did this thing walking free on the road. How do you explain to that person that the God of heaven is still God? That's maturity. Yeah. Can you walk through fire, come out of the fire and say, this God is still God? Whether or not my experience aligns with the word. So what we are saying is, it is not about what you experience. It is what does the word say. Because the word of God is always superior to your personal experience. Can you say that with me? The word of God is always superior to my personal experience. So this is crucial because some people put this uh, uh, test of personal experience right up there. You are, that's baby, baby level, okay? Baby level. It's not because it's not valid, but I, I don't want your faith to be in that. There are more important reasons why the Bible is what it says it is. I haven't finished my introduction. Now, can we get into the message? Believe it or not, that's my intro, okay? All right, all right. So what is the central message of the Bible? I taught you this two minutes ago. What is the central personality of the Bible? Jesus. Or? The Lamb of God. Very important. Okay? I will skip the book of Ruth because of time. Let's go into it. So, the whole idea here is that the Bible that we carry, this, this Bible, was written by a spirit being. Who is the Holy Spirit. And it was written to spirit beings. We have the tendency as human beings to think that we are humans living a human life. But you are, his, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. Your physical body is not you. That's why it is all this... Lobsuction, tummy talk, stomach, all those things. That's not you. The day you die, that thing drops because you are a spirit. So, the same way, you have to understand that you are a spirit being on this earth that is having a human experience. It's not the other way around. So, the spirit being that wrote the Bible is the Holy Spirit, and he is not writing to a natural man, he is writing to another spirit being. 
Because the natural man cannot understand this book. If you open the Bible as an unbeliever, it will, be, it will be like rubbish to you. You read and be like, why? why? Some of my friends, when I'm, I'm talking to them about God and I'm explaining to them that, and they say, why do you believe this? And I say, the Bible says. See, why are you always saying the Bible says? I'm like, because that's how we live our lives. They say, but that's a 3,000-year-old book. I say, that's why. <laughs> that if it has stood for that long, don't you think there's something that we should know that we don't know? You have not even stood for more than 30 years. You're already falling apart. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Thank you, sir. So you have to understand that when we say we, we live our life based on the word of God, we live our lives based on the word of God. And I want your confidence to be sky high. Look, this is what I want you to do. When I, I'm done, I've not started. When I start showing you things in the Bible today, eh? when you go home, I want you to be angry. And say, I'm going to go and check whether what P.S. is saying. All these things are just confusing us. I want to be sure. That's the goal. Yeah, that you go home, you are angry enough to go home and open your own Bible by yourself. And not just leave it somewhere, you know, laying down. The reason why you don't read your Bible, let me tell you, eh, is that, now be honest with yourself, you have, you have done this before. You have read a passage in the Bible. You just woke up, you came to church, and I preached about why you must read your Bible. You were very encouraged. Then you went home and read the passage. And when you finished, you closed it. You said, what was that? <laughs> I have no clue <laughs> what that just said. <laughs> I don't know jack about it. Because that thing was not written to your natural mind. It was written to your spirit. And except the eyes of your understanding are open, you will not see what he's saying. So we want to get into the practice of it this morning. And when we interpret scripture, there's, there's, there are two words that we use when we, we talk about interpreting scripture. The first one is called exegesis. I told you, I'm going to leave church today feeling like a, like a Bible scripture. You go home using all these big words like exegesis. What does it mean? It simply means to draw out, to draw out. Yeah. So when you say you, you, are, you, you want to exegete, it means to draw out. So when we approach the Bible, what we do is to draw out meaning from it and not draw in, which is I see Jesus. The exact opposite. So most of what is going on today is I see Jesus, which is people are and you hear me always warning you, don't read your own meaning into it. Don't read your own meaning into it because no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So when people come to me and say, uh, P.S., what do you think about this passage? What's your personal opinion? I have got none. None. So the Bible interprets itself. There is no personal interpretation. Say, this is my own personal interpretation. No, 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 no. That's how people get into trouble. So the difference between sound word and heresy is eisegesis. Exegesis is how you... Okay, only the images still with me. Okay. Exegesis is how you do what? Yeah. All right. Maybe you should say the word with me. Say exegesis. Exegesis. Uh, you can feel like a scholar. Okay. All right. Let's, can we geek out a little bit and just get into this thing? Is that okay? All right. I always avoid this on Sunday. I'm not avoiding it anymore. Whether you are happy or you are sad, uh, you need to, there are some things you've got to know. There's stuff you have to know. Because you see what's happening is that, and we'll get to it before we go home. There is, people are under demonic influences and they don't know. They think they are acting out of their own free will, but it's a demon that's telling them what to do. <laughs> Have you ever heard people tell you that I'm hearing voices? What do you think they are hearing? I will show you in the Bible so that you will not say it's me that's telling you. I will show you from the word of God. So let's go there together, okay? So I've told you that there are types and shadows throughout the Bible because no prophecy or scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? That's in 2 Peter 1 verse 20. We saw that earlier on. This is what it means. There is only one literal interpretation of scripture. So... This is literal, when we say literal. When it says, 
uh, uh, there was a widow who lost her coin. The literal interpretation is that a widow lost a lundi. Literal interpretation, right? But there is also a spiritual interpretation of that. Which is, if you don't understand that, the widow losing her coin will make no difference in your life. The only reason it will help your own life is if you understand the interpretation of that spiritually. Because it is a spiritual book that was written to your spirit. It's not supposed to just entertain you as a story. A widow lost her coin. So what? Let's keep moving. I'm going to skip a few things here because of time. So I'm I'm going to give you what is a snapshot of the ways that we interpret the Bible. Do you want to know this? So, So... when, you, when we say, when we talk about exegesis, there are forms of exegesis. The first one is contextual. I've mentioned this before. When you, when you, you get a verse of the Bible, the verse by itself might, might sound very, very nice, you know, and, and appealing. But you have to put it back where you found it. So, like, when we take our kids to the store and we are going in the aisles, we have what we are going to get. They have their own agenda. So, they are picking up toys in the aisles and picking up things. It's when we get to the, to the counter, we see them holding things and say... Who told you that I have any, any desire to buy you this thing? Go and put it where you found it. That's exactly what we need to do with the Bible. So when you read a verse of scripture, it looks confusing. Put it back where you found it and just keep reading. Because those things were not written in chapter and verses. They were written as letters. They were written as a whole book. So if you put it back in context, you will understand it. This is how we interpret the Bible. So, so, so don't just bring me a verse and say, ah, Pastor, it says the flame shall be shattered and the sword shall, shall surrender. What does that mean? Put it back in context and read it. Read the verses surrounding it. Read the entire book. This is the work we don't want to do. No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to read the, ah, I should read the whole chapter. Ah, just tell me what it means now. So if I tell you what that means today, when you read another one tomorrow, how will you know what it means? If your eyes are not open, if you don't understand how to do it. So that's contextual interpretation. The next one is historical. So historical context means that for everything you see in the Bible, there is a time and a period. I just told you, a span of 1,600 years, there is a time in history where that thing was written. If you don't understand that, it will confuse you. If you don't understand that, you will misinterpret it. I've given you an example before of when it says women should be quiet in the church. There is a historical context to that. It's not saying women cannot preach. Are you alive? When it says, for example, it talks about the mustard seed, uh, and, the, and some people will say, when they're arguing against Christianity, they'll say, why does it say mustard seed? Mustard seed, according to science, is not the smallest seed. It's because you don't understand the historical context. At that time, the people he was talking to recognized the mustard seed as the smallest, period. That's the historical context. So you understand that, and you are not confused about it. Are you alive? There is allegorical context. So every story, like I just told you, a, a woman lost her coin. There is the literal interpretation. It's just one. But there is an allegorical explanation to that, which is Jesus is just telling us a story, but there is a, there is a, a meaning that you can draw out of the allegory. Are you alive? Are you alive? Are you alive? Are you alive? All right. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't sleep, okay? Don't sleep on me. Number four is revelatory. Revelatory. Now, this one is when, when and you hear me say this a lot, when you, you, you hear me say that God can speak to you through the Bible, and the, the Holy Spirit will make the scripture come alive to you, and it becomes a, a personal revelation to you. Now, some theologians don't agree that this is a thing. And the reason is this. Because it's very easy to abuse this. And many people have done so. Okay? Which is that they will tell you that God told me that I should do this. God told me to divorce my wife and marry Sister Ruth. 
No, God did not tell you that. Why do we know? Because that's not consistent with the nature and character of God. That's not consistent with other things that we know in the Bible. God told me to take that money that does not belong to me. God cannot tell you that. God told me to do something, and then we just look at the result, maybe five years down the line, confusion everywhere. We know that another scripture already told us that God is not the author of confusion. So that cannot be God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So for you to operate this revelatory aspect of things, you have to have spiritual sight. I will talk about that next Sunday. Please, this eight weeks, don't miss church. Don't, don't miss church. Huh? Because you will be mature. You know when we say, come grow. This is the grow. You will get out of this, and nobody will be able to bamboozle you. I'm telling you things. I just look at it. Oh, they're saying, oh, exegesis. What is that? There's, no, there's nothing, nothing, nothing dramatic about anything. The Bible is as simple and as clear as it can be. But for you to operate in, in revelatory uh, uh, interpretation, there's got to be spiritual sight. Your eyes have to be open. The eyes of your understanding have to be open. That's why you hear me pray that prayer all the time. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. It's not because I don't know any other prayer. <laughs> you, your eyes have to be open. Every time you want to read your Bible, you have to pray that prayer and say, God, open the eyes of my understanding because you need spiritual sight for this. Let's move on. So that's that. So, so in, in speaking about revelatory uh, interpretation, this is where you, you, it's easy to go wrong. There is, first of all, a literal explanation to the Bible. Any insight that you are getting has to be placed on top of that literal explanation. Not that you delete the literal meaning of it and then you come up with your own <laughs> and say, this is what the Lord told me about this. Because there are things in the Bible, look, I can make the Bible say whatever I want to say. If I have made up my mind about something, I can go and find scripture that suits what I'm talking about. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Bad idea. <laughs> so that something is in the Bible does not mean that is what the Bible teaches. You should write that down. So the fact that you can find it in the Bible and show me in the Bible does not mean that is what the Bible teaches. There's a big difference. So we say this is the word of God, but, but actually this contains the word of God. Because not everything inside this book is the word of God. You're afraid to say it. Are you afraid to say that? Okay, let's fix this. I said this is not the word of God. It contains the word of God. Because not everything in this book is the word of God to you. You have to understand this. You look frightened when I said that. <laughs> so you have to understand that, that we call it the word of God. And that's what it is. But there are aspects of it that were written to explain certain things to us. To show us the mistakes that people have made that we should avoid. That when it's time to go to war, go to war. Don't stand on the roof. Oh, some of you missed that one. <laughs> Let me stay up here so I can stay with my, within my time. Today, my time is very precious. So finally, there is scriptural interpretation. And this is the one where I'm going to give you a few examples and we'll dwell on this, okay? So this is what we mean when we say this. We say, let scripture interpret scripture. You don't get to decide what stuff means in the Bible. You have to go back into the book because it is only one author that wrote the entire thing. So whether you found it in, in Leviticus, which a lot of you avoid, or you find it in Revelation. <laughs> huh? It is the same author that wrote everything. So what it means there is exactly what it will mean anywhere else that you find it. That is the mystery of the Bible. So if you, if you want all five of them, they'll put it up on the screen for you to see all the scriptural context, the way that we interpret things. It's contextual, historical, allegorical, revelatory, and scriptural. Let's exegete a passage of scripture as an example. Would you like to do that? Okay, only a few people. Would you like me to do that? I can close here because I've already preached for a while. Okay, so I can, but today is Super Sunday. 
Super Sunday. You are going to be here for a while. Okay. All right. So let's, let's do that. And so that, you know, in school, when they give you, when the math teacher, I don't like math teachers, I'm telling you. When the math teacher wants to give you an example, they give you a very good example. Very easy example. That is very sweet. Then you will not write one on the board and say, do this one yourself. You say, hey, <laughs> where, where are we going to start from? So that's what I would do. I would pick a scripture that has a lot of, of symbols in them, okay? So that I can explain to you the process of doing this thing. But the, I will now give you another one to do by yourself. This is not the time to go to the bathroom, okay? You sit down in the church and you do it, okay? Let's go. All right. So, so here, let me chip in here as well that um, I haven't gotten the time to talk about this with you. But when it comes to Bible translations, I've mentioned this in the past too. There are different Bible translations for different things, and I will, I will get into this later in the series, that not all Bible translations are good for a classroom setting like this. So, so like we read message translation in, uh, earlier in the morning. It's a good translation. There's nothing like a bad translation of the Bible. You have to understand the purpose behind the translation. Are you, are you awake? Uh-huh. So those translations are called paraphrase. Message, the passion translation, they are called paraphrase translations. Their intention was not to be consistent with the original. They are telling you that somebody has already put his own idea into this thing. Like message was written by Eugene Peterson of Blessed Memory. So it's not like we don't know the people that wrote them. So it's, it's Bible scholars and theologians that come up with this. But when you, when you want to look for translations that are consistent with the original translations, you, you look at the New American Standard Bible or our own official translation, which is the New King James Version, ESV. Huh? Revised Standard Version. That's what you used in, in school, in high school, if you did Christian religious studies. It's because those are more consistent with the original translation. Okay, you are looking bored. Let me leave that one. Let me, let's exit it, okay? Is that good? All right. But what I just shared with you now is very crucial. So you are just starting out. Don't go and, and buy Amplified Translation, okay? Somebody said Amplified Translation is the women's translation because it has a lot of words in them. Don't, don't write me an email. It's a joke. It's a joke, okay? All right. New American Standard Bible, verse number one of Isaiah chapter four, verse one. Look at this scripture. It says, for seven women will take hold of one man in that day. Sounds like singles night. <laughs> Saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. That blessed you so much, didn't it? This is the kind of thing you read on a random Monday morning when you are roaring to go to You say, what in the world is this? Yeah. Is this, are, we, are we promoting polygamy here? What is really going on here? Yeah. So there is a literal meaning to every scripture. And the literal meaning here is literal. Seven women have grabbed one man and they have said, marry us, but we will take care of ourselves. Okay? We'll, we'll buy our own food, we'll buy our own clothes. The only thing we need from you is your name so that we are not disgraced. That is the literal meaning. But that literal interpretation will not help you because what you would think is that it's okay for seven women to grab one man. But there is a spiritual meaning. So the way you get the spiritual meaning is the process of exegesis, which is you need to draw out the meaning by letting scripture interpret this passage to you. So let's start with the number seven. Now, if you don't know anything in theology, you should know that seven means completion. Do I need to go over that? Okay. When you see women in the Bible, or you see a reference to bride or anything like that, is most likely referring to the church. So we went through marriage last month. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 tells us, husbands love your wife. The relationship with, between Christ and the church, all of those different things. You should know that by now. So I'm trying to paste this because of time. 
Now, when it, it now says, for seven women will take hold of one man. Who is one man? You need to think. No, so, so it's Jesus, but you can't just say it's Jesus. You need to tell me why you think it's Jesus. Because it says in the Bible that by one man sin came, and by one man. Yeah. So that's why one man there is Jesus, not because I think it's Jesus. Are you having fun yet? Okay. So, so this is how we, we begin to interpret the Bible. By the way, the reference to that, Romans chapter 5, verse 19, is the reference for one man. And then it says, they will now say we will eat our own bread. What does bread represent in Scripture? It's the word of God. Why? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Do you understand this? Yeah. So it's not just bread. Uh, bread has to be the word. Why? Yeah, it's because the Bible has already told us that bread is synonymous with... And there are other things in the Bible like that, like oil, water, that have different meanings. It can mean the Holy Spirit, it can mean Jesus, depending on the context. So in, the, in those cases, you now go back to the context. So this is how we interpret the Bible. Then, then you keep going. It says there, then they say we will wear our own clothes. What does clothes represent in Scripture? Why? Now, you don't have to tell me, quote the Scripture. It's Isaiah 61, verse 3, by the way. So let them put that up on the screen for you, okay? But you don't have to quote the scripture, but you must know that it is written. Because Jesus did not quote the scripture to the enemy and, and tell them, because there was no chapter and verses. He didn't say, according to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, much not tell the, you cannot tempt the Lord your God. No. <laughs> All he had to tell him was, it is written. And in 2024, it's so easy. It's so easy. If you have, you know that this thing is written, you can just type it in your Bible program and search for it. It will show you where it is written. So it says, Isaiah 61, verse 3, it talks about giving beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the garment of praise for spirit of heaviness. Keep going. That they may be called the trees of righteousness. Then you see in Isaiah 61 verse 10 too, gives us another reference. He has clothed them with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So this is why we know that that is most likely talking about righteousness. Are you still with me? Should I stop here? Someone's like, this is not what I came to church for today. Okay, but some of you are really enjoying this, I can tell. Okay, so we'll keep going. So he says, only let us be called by your name. We already know whose name they are, they are talking about, right? So they are saying, let us be called by your name, take away our reproach. We know what reproach is. Okay. Now, with that understanding, you know that if you reread this passage of scripture, it will mean something completely different to you. So what is he talking about? He's telling us here that we already said seven is the number of perfection and this is the, 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 the women at the church. So he's, he's telling us that the end time church, which is the complete church now, will cling to Jesus. Let's go back to our, what we defined. Will cling to Jesus. They will tell Jesus in the end time that that's your own bread, leave it. We will come up with our own doctrine. We will preach our own word. We will decide what is our own standard of righteousness. We will wear our own clothes. So we would say that it's no longer just man and woman now. It can be anything. We are united. We will come up with our own stuff. The only thing is we still want to be called a church. <laughs> mic drop. That's what mic drop is. <laughs> we still want to be known as a church so that we will not be disgraced. But we come up. So when you, read, when you read the seven women and the explanation that I just gave you now, what is the difference? It's a world of difference. And you can do this with every single verse of the Bible. Every single verse. Literally every single verse has both a literal meaning and a spiritual meaning. 
And this same verse of scripture, when you are in trouble and God has given you spiritual sight, it can have a completely different revelatory meaning that takes you out of something else that is completely different. So this is how we approach the word of God. When you approach the Bible like this, you will not be, you don't have time for a video game. I'm telling you, you'll be excited about this stuff because the reason why you read one chapter and you are bored is because you don't understand it. If you start this process, it's, it's almost like, like decoding stuff. When me, I started reading the Bible like this, huh? I, it was concordance. There was no all these logos and Bible gateway that it did exist. It was physical, actual concordance. I will go through everything because you, you have Bibles that still have that. At the back of it, it will list to you every word in the Bible and all the places where they appear. That's all you need to do. What does bread mean? Go to the back of your Bible. Look at bread. It will show you all the scriptures where the word bread appears. Read everything. By the time you finish reading it, you will understand bread. You see the word tree in the Bible. In a passage, say, what does tree mean? Go to the Bible. Read everywhere where the word tree appears. You will understand it. Psalm 1 verse 3 will tell you that it, you, are, you are like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Then you will know that every time I see the word tree in the Bible, I can first of all assume that it's most likely a tree. Are you blessed this morning? Yes, All right. Should I stop there or should I show you more? More? More is good? Okay. All right. Let's keep going. I don't want you to be bored. I want you to be happy that you came to church. All right? So I'll show you a few more scriptures. Now, just to buttress the fact that everything in the Bible has spiritual meaning, Revelation chapter 11 verse 8 gives us this, this um, idea. It says, and their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. So it's telling us that this city spiritually is called this. It has a natural name, but spiritually, this is what it's called. And I've given you this example before. I won't, I won't waste too much time on it. Mark chapter 8, where Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man. I've, I've taken you through this before. The, when, when the Bible told us that the first time Jesus uh, uh, prayed for him, he said, I see men as trees walking around. And I've already told you now that trees in the Bible have a spiritual connotation. So what was going on here was that this man was speaking spiritual language. It's not that he was literally seeing trees. It was, it was, what he was saying literally was, my spiritual eyes have just been opened. I can now see spiritual things. So, so it's not that, you know, we hear people saying that, oh, Jesus had to pray for somebody two times. Oh, you're, this is not, it's not the same Jesus me and you are talking about. Okay? So the first time that he prayed for him, it was spiritual sight that was, was restored. Then the natural sight was restored the second time. Is this the first time you are hearing this? You need to go back and hear the message. I've, I've taught this before. Okay? I'm pacing because of time. Now, it's clear, therefore, that there is, there is both what is called the natural sight and there is spiritual sight. If you approach the Bible without spiritual sight, you will see nothing. You will see nothing. Because throughout the Bible, Jesus spoke in parables throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. Mark chapter 4 verse 2 gives us this. It says, Mark 4 verse 2. It says, then he taught them many things by parable and said to them in teaching. In fact, it goes on there to tell us that Jesus never taught anything without using parables. Do you agree with that? Okay. Now, Jesus said, I, I never do anything without parables. Jesus teaches in parables. In another place, he told us, John chapter 5, verse 19, that I do nothing except I first see my father do it. Please stay with me. He said he teaches with parables all the time. And he also told us that I don't do anything except I see my father do it. What does that mean? That means he must have seen the father speak in parables. Yeah, that's what it means. And the father actually told us, Psalm 78 verse 2, told us by himself, I will open my mouth in a parable. 
So God himself told us that he usually speaks about. Now, this is what I want to ask you. Where did he see the father speak in parables? I want you to think with me, okay? That's why I'm doing this. I'm doing it like this. Where did he see the father speak in parables? In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, throughout. In fact, right from Genesis, where man sinned, where God said, the serpent will, will, bruise, your, will, crush your, will bruise your heel, you will crush his head. There is a literal meaning, which is the snake. You, the goal of the snake is to bite you on your leg. Your own goal is to crush his head. That is the literal meaning. But there is a spiritual meaning. You know that what he was saying is not that you go and be looking for a snake and crushing their head. He was saying that the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush the head of Satan. That when he goes into hell, he will defeat him. That is the spiritual meaning. That's when he started seeing the father speak in parables. And you will find it throughout the entire Old Testament. Not everything is the way it looks. <laughs> so so you, can, you can read it on the surface and see the first uh, literal explanation, but if you stay with it, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened and you will see deeper into that. Let's, let's delve into this, this serpent issue a little bit because this is where people don't agree. When you say that there are demonic spirits or there are demonic influences and you say, oh, Pastor, do you believe in deliverance? Now, I don't believe in removing your tie and fighting with the devil, but I believe in freedom. <laughs> if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit resident inside you, there's no space for more than one spirit. But if you are empty, did you hear what I said? If you are empty, ah, that's risky. And I will show you in the Bible why that's very dangerous. Aha. So this is why I'm trying to get you to, that some people don't understand that when we say stay away from sin, don't do this, don't do that, it's not just rules. It's not just to keep you or, or about making heaven. It is that there are certain things that are not accessible to you, except you are living a certain way. And if you are living in sin, what you are doing is opening the door for the influence of the enemy to be at work in your life. And you will not even know that you are operating under influences. Because we can only either have the influence of the spirit that comes from the word, or you are hearing other voices. So not every thought, not every idea that comes to your head, <laughs> just say, that thought just came to me. Where did it come from? You've got to ask yourself. So don't just say, ah, the, the, the idea just came to me. Oh boy, where did it come <laughs> From, you've got to ask yourself. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20. I will rush this last part. If you catch it, you catch it. It says, then the 70 returned with joy. Jesus had sent out his disciples. They came back. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were so excited. And Jesus said to them, what? They really are? No. He was not impressed. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, he now says, I give you authority to trample on serpents. And Wait a minute. What are they talking about? Go back to verse 17. What are they talking about? Verse 17, please. Go back to verse 17. It says, even the demons, demons are subject to us. Then Jesus now comes in verse number 19 and says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now, maybe that means that you can pick up a snake like Paul and it will not harm you because that's the literal meaning. But maybe there's a spiritual meaning there. That he's not talking about going up and down looking for serpents and scorpions. But the demons that he just spoke about in the beginning. Are you awake? Yes. All right. So let's keep going. Then he says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So he's not leaving us in doubt. He says that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are in heaven. So when we see that serpents and scorpions in this place means 
demonic spirits. We can assume that every other place where we see this, this is what it means. So there's no need for us to now be, you know, wondering again and trying to be figuring it out. And the problem is that if you are proud, you will think that you don't have demonic spirits. You think I, I, they cannot influence my life. Verse 21 tells us, this is for you. Verse 21. If you are living in known sin, known sin, that they have told you, you are not getting rid of it, there is an influence of the enemy there because you are giving him license. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Babes there means people that are humble. Glory to God. Let me keep going. Let me keep going because of time. I want, I want to get to this. There's part of this that I really want to get to. So, so, so we, we, are, we both agree now, huh? all of us agree, that when you see serpents and scorpions, the literal meaning is serpents and bite, bite. But there is a spiritual meaning. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Maybe we'll tie it up with this one. Ezekiel 34, verse 1 to 5. My time is not showing me reverse, so I don't know how much extra I've gone over. But the people are being blessed. I can see their faces. They are being, they are being blessed. So I'll just keep going. Ezekiel 34, verse 1 to 5. I'm almost done here. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Wait a minute. What is shepherd? How do you know? He shall give you shepherds out of your heart. That's how you know. So it's not just, oh, we feed you the word. So that's how you know that this thing is not saying that the guys who stand by the, by the road with sheep uh, is what he's talking about. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them. Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, and we've already defined them. Verse 2. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. This is why I, I tell you, my number one job here is what I'm doing to you this morning. You might be there, you know, oh, pastor, this is too much. It's so that you can be spiritually, you'll be full. Then when it's time to eat natural food, you'll also be full. But I would have done my job. Any other thing, you see the food that you're eating, I have nothing to do with it. I don't know how it was prepared. Maybe so I will eat the way you are, you are going to eat. But this is my own job. And this is what shepherds are supposed to do. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. And we see a lot of this going on now. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. That is your job. That is your number. You have only one job. Leave the camera, leave the media, leave the social media and be carrying bag and be doing swag and coming to the altar. Leave that. Your job is to feed the flock. That's your number one job. That was not for you. That was for one of the pastors that is watching. Okay? It says, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick. This is why we have meetings like, like Revive and all of these different things. Then he says here, not bound up the broken. Stay with me. Look up. Stay with me. Number four, for, not brought back what was driven away nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Now, all of these things are called the basic ministries of Jesus, and one of these days I'll go through them with you. Let me just outline it. When he says, strengthen the weak, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he says, heal those who are sick, that is literally talking about physical healing. Bound up the broken, that's speaking of inner healing. Brought back what was driven away is where he speaks of deliverance and freedom. Sought what was lost is evangelism. Now, that's not where I'm going today, okay? Where I'm really going is this. So he tells us that they were scattered. Go back to the place where he tells us that the, the sheep were scattered, verse 5. So they were scattered. Let me ask you, what is the sheep, the flock, in this, in this passage? What's the flock? What's the flock? You know I'm going to ask you how. That's why you are hesitating. But you have to know. Yeah. So when he says shepherd, is, is, so he tells us in Psalm 100 verse 3. If you go to Psalm 100 verse 3 and show, show, this, show it on the screen, you will see that it says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's how we know that everywhere we see sheep or flock is referring to people. So we have agreed now that shepherds means pastors. He's not talking about literal shepherds. 
Flock means people. It's not talking about literal goats and sheep. Now, there's another image there that you're going to struggle with now. So when you now go back to, when you now go down to verse number five, he says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. So we have agreed now that the people of God who don't have a pastor that is preaching the word of God to them are going to be scattered. Yes or no? Then he says, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. What is the beast of the field? Is that lions and tigers? So if you find people who are not sitting down in a Bible-believing church the way you are right now and listening to the word of God, this thing is more, it's more, it's not about, I've been a Christian for so many years. No, no, no. The idea is that God wants you to remain under spiritual authority. It is a principle in our kingdom. The person who is preaching to you may not even be as experienced as you, may not be as old as you. There are so many of you are here that are, you are older than me. But the, that's not the idea. In the kingdom, that does not count for nothing. It counts for nothing. So the idea is that every one of us have to be submitted under spiritual authority. When we are scattered, we become food for the beast of the field. What is beast of the field? It's demonic spirits. Satan and his fallen angels. That's what he's telling you. And we know that because we have seen the references. So you come and say, ah, yeah, 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 I, I cannot be. I'm right now calling Christ. Right now calling Christ. Right now calling Christ. I cannot be under demonic influence. Oh boy, they are already talking to you. You don't know. They are already speaking to you. Because we saw there, he said, these things are hidden from the wise and prudent. So this is how we know. So you, you look at that. Then, oh, this is so good. Time, time, time is not helping me here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. Look at this. He says, some of this, I'll skip this. We'll, we'll continue next week. He says, now the serpent was more cunning. You already told me who the serpent is. That when the serpent was there talking to the woman, it was not that, just the snake. You know that this is Satan. Then he says, he was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. So is he telling you that maybe the literal meaning is that the snake is, more, is smarter than the goat? But what is the spiritual meaning? That the devil is smarter than all the fallen angels that God made. God made them. They were his angels before they became fallen angels. So, so he's telling you that. And he said to the woman, as God indeed said, and you know this story. Why did I show you this? Again, exegesis. We we draw out the meaning. When you tell me that the serpent is the devil, it's not just to tell me that the serpent is the devil. How do you know that the serpent is the devil? Because Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 speaks of the serpent as the devil. Do you understand this? So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. That's how you know. So we are piecing things together. We are not making stuff up. We are not coming up with our own ideas. Just like when I was teaching you the other time about, um, about the fire shall continually be on the altar and it shall not go out and you, ma- you shall put wood in the, in the thing. I showed you in the Bible what wood means. So sometimes you go, there's something called the law of first mention. You go and find the first place that the thing was mentioned in the Bible. If that does not apply, you go to the contextual. If it doesn't apply, go to historical. If it doesn't apply, go to, you get, walk through the list. The final one that will solve the problem is always the fact that scripture will interpret scripture. Say amen to this. All right, so serpent is Satan, we agree. But what is beast of the field? <laughs> this one, I'm really checking my heart, and this is the last thing I'm going to do for today. I'm checking whether to show you this, because some of you might be angry. You might stone me with this one, but I'll show you. So you, are, you know that Satan tempted the devil, in, uh, uh, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, right? Now, by the way, you know that when the devil was tempting Jesus, he wasn't 
Jesus was not responding with, with begging. He would say, oh boy, now, it's been 40 days now, I beg now. Uh, leave me now, uh, don't be angry now. No, he responded with the word. And the other thing we don't know is that the devil was not there just for, for three occasions. He was actually there with him the entire 40 days. Oh, I have, I, if I had time, I will show you. He was there with him the entire time. So it wasn't that. They only recorded three for us. Mark chapter 1. Let's go. Let's go there. Let me just show you that. Mark chapter 1, verse 13. Look at what it says. It said, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was there in the wilderness how many days? 40 days. But he didn't say tempted by Satan for three days. He was there for the 40 days. Satan was tempting him there for the 40 days. And was with So, you are, the, you are the devil, and the Son of God is coming to earth, and you have the chance to be with him for 40 days. Will you go alone? So, maybe this is saying that there were lions and tigers in the wilderness, but why would the Bible tell us that? And not later tell us that Jesus had to fight one of the lions and tigers. So, maybe the literal meaning is that there were lions and tigers inside the wilderness with them. But he was with the wild beast because Satan did not go there by himself. He, he carried all the fallen angels with him. That boy, this guy, we've got to bring him down. But, but it was hidden in the Bible. Hidden. It's just one line. And was with the wild beast. You can skip over it. Then he tells you that angels. Oh, what is the equivalent of fallen angels? So you get it now. Oh, the Bible is beyond words, it's beautiful. Look, the, the reason why you're not reading your Bible is that you think it's a boring book. It was written 3,000 years ago. When you get into this stuff, ah, <laughs> when you get into this thing, you will be amazed. Next week, I'll talk about beds of the year. Were you blessed today? Let's, 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 let's close it here. I think this is a good place to stop. Let's, let's give God a moment. Just bow your head wherever you are. Give God a moment. First of all, thank him for the word of God. Father, I just want to thank you for the Bible. Thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you so much for the Bible. It's important that we fill our lives with God's word. It's important that we fill our lives with God's word. John chapter 5 verse 14 says, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you have, made, you have been made well. Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. If, the, if demonic spirits come into a man and they leave, and they come back and the place is empty, they will go and find seven more spirits that are stronger than them and come back there because the place was empty. Make up your mind this morning. Talk to God about this and say, my life will not be empty. My life will not be devoid of your word. I will give the Holy Spirit room in my life. I will give the word of God place in my life. I will store up my life with your word so that I can be, I can be untouchable for the enemy untouchable for any demonic influences in my life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I make up my mind today. I make up my mind today. Maybe you are there this morning and you are saying, Pastor, all these things you said are so amazing, but I don't even have a relationship with Jesus to start with. I can't really say that I'm a Christian. Maybe you, you might have even given your heart to Jesus at one, at one point or the other but you can't say you are living that kind of life now that pleases God. We want to give you an opportunity this morning to rededicate your life to him or to even say this for the very first time. 
the goal here, we, we don't try to embarrass anybody. I'm not bringing you forward. You, you make a decision with God where you are. But I want to know that I'm praying for you. So with every head bowed, all eyes closed in the room, I want to see you wherever you are. If you want to say this prayer with us to, to rededicate your life to Jesus or to begin a relationship with him for the very first time, wherever you are, just lift up your hand. If you are in the room or you are online, lift up your hand wherever you are. Don't be ashamed about this. This is about you and God. This is about you and God. God bless you. All of us are going to say the prayer with you. Everybody, can we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that God sent you to die for my sins. I confess with my mouth that you were raised to life again on the third day. I accept you into my life today as my Lord and as my Savior. Come into my life and do something with it. Say, Holy Spirit, come into my heart today that my life be not empty in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who is saying this prayer with us this morning. Those who lifted their hands in the room and those who are watching us online, whether they are saying this for the first time or they are rededicating their lives to you, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will receive this ones. I ask that you will write their names in the book of life. Church, please say amen in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will never, ever go back to the world in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.